You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 231 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, despite rumours in the podcast group (laughs) of our demise... (laughs) <laughs> I'm actually totally fine. So we had um, we had some some lamenting comments about where were the last where have the podcast episodes been for the last few weeks, and I must take full responsibility for that because um, I got completely slammed by school holidays, and it's just one of those things sometimes where you have everything planned and you are totally ready and you have all your work up to date and you have nothing you know, like you've cleared your schedule because you know what the school holidays are like and then things don't go to plan and you have a whole lot of work that sort of suddenly needs to be done and you have kids at home and Mm -hmm. the concept of, you know, sitting down for a quiet half hour or whatever for a chat with Val about writing (laughs) just gets further and further and further and further in the distance. But anyway, they are back at school and the work is – pretty much up to date. I was talking to someone this morning. I said, you know, you have that two-week school holiday period and then you sort of get to the week after and you feel like you're eight weeks behind, not (laughs) not two. But, but yeah, so I'm back and and hi, everyone, and and we're perfectly fine. We just got a little bit buried, but anyway, we're all good. Yes. What about you, Val? How are you? I'm not going to let you take full responsibility. I take half responsibility because, as it turned out, Uh, I think it was last week anyway, it was just impossible for me too. So sometimes life happens, but we're back on track now, everybody. We are back on track and we're excited. And now it's May. It's And thanks for waiting for us. We're so happy that you're out there actually. It's really funny because I was just like days were going past and and I had this thing of, oh, we haven't done the podcast, whatever. And then I saw the thing in the group and I thought, oh, there's actually people waiting for it. Yes. (laughs) Which made me feel even worse. If you're a new listener, the group we're talking about is actually on Facebook. So all you need to do is search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. It's an awesome place. I just absolutely love the vibe and energy of all of the people in the group and and the discussions and all of the talk about writing and related things. So make sure you come and join us if you're not already a member. And, in fact, we want to give – Oh, yes, no, no, before on. we do that, I have to say yes. thank you very much because um, Valerie put up a post in the group oh, asking wow. for um, – so there's a, a, a competition on at the moment, a voting thing for um, to vote for the top 51 kids' books in Australia. It's the Dimix competition. And Valerie put up a little post saying that uh, – asking for – 
my birthday for if if uh, if people would sling me a vote for that. So I just want to say thank you so much for the surprise without the surprise party and for the uh, for the gifts. I appreciate the votes. Thank you very much. Yes, and if you do want to vote for Alison, we'll also put the link in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. So we want to give a big shout-out to J.L. Maris, who kindly left us a review on iTunes. Now, J.L. Maris said, I've just started listening to this podcast and I absolutely love it. I've had to start from episode one as I don't want to miss any of the episodes. I get a lot of useful information from them as well as an increased motivation to get my story out there. Thank you for the brilliant episodes. Oh, wow. How cool is that? Do you know what's really hilarious about this? If JL Maris is listening to us from episode one, they Mm. will probably hear this shout out and this very sincere thank you for the review (laughs) probably in about June next year. (laughs) So you know what? We're holding on to it for you until you get to it, JL Maris. Thank you so much for the review. I think it's been fantastic. Love it, love it, love it. Um, Well, let's launch straight into the world of writing and publishing, shall we? Let's do that. Well, I think you have a link for us about uh, the query stage. Is that right? Uh, I do have a link for us about the query stage. It's kind of about the query stage and it came. I came across it on, on the blog booksandsuch.com, booksandsuch.com, and it's the blog of a literary management uh, firm agency in um, in the US. And the reason I found it interesting is, of course, the – the headline is forget the query stage. And of course, anything that we can possibly do to sidestep the query stage and go straight to an agent with our manuscript has to be a good thing, right? So of course, Mm. that got me in. And the interesting thing about it was that the thing I loved about it was that the advice that the blogger, uh, and her name is Wendy Lawton, the advice that she gives on how to forget the query stage is essentially the same stuff that you and I talk about all the time. So of course, I was like, I'm going to share this link. Um, and basically what they what she says is that, you know, as a literary agent, they get queries by the bucket load. So a query letter is the letter that you send um, before you send the manuscript. You send a little letter saying, this is who I am. This is what I've written. I would love to send you my full, you know, proposal. You give a synopsis, a bit of an outline of the story. And Wendy or whoever receives your uh, query letter decides if they want to read your manuscript, if they want to read the full um version of your manuscript. Now she's saying that you can bypass that stage. You can bypass that query, that query letter and go straight mm-hmm. to that here, uh, you know, here's my manuscript for you to read stage. So of course, you know, that's something that is, it's a, it's valuable advice. And the thing I loved about it was <laughs> that the first thing she says is you can forget the query stage by meeting an agent or an editor at a writing conference. Now you and I often talk often talk about the importance of getting yourself out there and into the writing community and going to workshops and going to conferences and going and talking to the person next to you at the conference um, and, you know, actually being brave enough to book a pitching session with an agent or an editor or a publisher and actually, um, you know, pitching your novel. And this is important. And the reason that you do that is that you can basically – if you do that, the agent or editor at the writers' conference is probably going to say, 
yes, please send me the manuscript to have a look at. So you get to you get to send the you know the three chapters or the full manuscript or whatever it is that they request um, without having to send that query letter where you have to you know basically sell yourself before they even think about having a look at what you're doing. This is you doing it on the spot. This is you mm. bypassing the letter and all the waiting. I cannot tell you how much waiting there is in, yes. in this kind of process. This is you bypassing that. This is you standing in front of this person and saying, this is my book, this is who I am, and them going, send it to me or, you know, whatever. And I have to say that I don't know anyone who's ever gone to one of those writing conferences and not been invited to it send at least three chapters. So it just gets you that little foot in the door. Now, the other thing, uh, the, the second thing she says is to, you know, meet the agent or editor at an event. So that was a specific mm. writing conference. Um, you know, this is this is a different, you know, this is an event. So there are a whole range of different ways that you can come into contact with people. Now, I do not advocate on any <laughs> level, and I'm going to say yeah. this to you very, very carefully, yeah. I do not advocate on any level chasing an agent to the toilet and shoving a manuscript under the door at her, which has happened, which I know has happened because people have told me this has happened. This is not you stalking or doing whatever. This is you going by the correct um, channels. But it is also you making conversation with the person standing next to you or sitting next to you or whatever. You never know who you're going to be talking to. You don't know who that person might know. Networking is such an important part of actually getting a book over the line and it's like you can network online as we've talked about and that's important but that face-to-face networking is a whole different world and I think it's really important that you um that you basically that that you do that because the other way of course um that agents will allow you to or or, you know in this case an agent will allow you to bypass the query letter stage is if you come via a referral from an existing client or author yeah so again this is about the person standing next to you and you don't necessarily know, you know, not everybody's walking around with author on their name tag. Um, you know, if they're not necessarily speaking that day, like authors go to this stuff without ever actually getting on a stage. Like they will go for the same reason that you go. They go to find out more. They go to learn more. They go to see their friends. They go to do whatever. So if we're standing there and we're having a bit of a chat and you say to me, blah, 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 oh, and and I say, well, you know, what do you write? And you say, well, I write, you know, chick lit with a French twist or whatever it is that your, um, your elevator pitch might be. And I say, oh, that sounds really interesting. And then my agent happens to say to me, God, I just desperately wish I could find some chick lit with a French twist. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I was talking to someone. So, you know, like you just don't know where it comes from. And the fourth way that our um, our friendly agent, uh, Wendy, suggests that you meet, um, that you bypass the query stage is to enter contests. And this yes, is something definitely. that we've been talking a lot about lately because there's been some fantastic contests um, in Australia and we've also shared links to, you know, competitions around the world through the Australian Writers' Centre blog. You know, that, that kind of stuff is a great way to come to the attention of a publisher. They don't – it's not just the winner. You don't have to win the competition to necessarily get a publishing deal out of it because they're looking at everything. And so you may not necessarily win, but you might be, I mean, I, I know for a fact that there's a, a couple of competitions in Australia where the whole pub, the whole shortlist will eventually be published at some point, mm. not necessarily all at once, but over time, those books mm. will come out. So, you know, it's, it's, 
it's solid advice and it just backs up what we talk about on a regular basis. So that made me feel good. So that's yeah, why I definitely. had to share the link. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love it as well. And we'll put the link in the show notes yeah. which you can find it. So you want to be a writer.com.au. And I wanted to echo the thing about the events because, um, and obviously, as Alison said, don't shove it under the toilet door, but also pick your event <laughs> carefully. Like yeah. um, don't do it at a funeral or at a wake or, oh, no. you know, if you happen to find out that somebody is an agent or a publisher or whatever. And also maybe you just start a conversation but don't don't say, hey, will you look at my work at that event because think of could you bump into them again? What kind of event of other events might they go to, like industry events, that you might bump into them? And maybe after you bump into, you accidentally bump into <laughs> someone, uh, a particular agent or publisher that you're keen to connect with over a few times and they start recognising you, you know, as an acquaintance, it's a lot easier to then be able to suggest that they might look at your work. So my very first agent from years ago, that's what happened to me because I happened to be working out of an office that was in next door uh, to like a completely bit different business though to um, where this agent was working in a in a literary agency and but you can't just waltz into the agency and just say hey I'm next I'm next door so we're friends now <laughs> so I used to you can't that's the kind no. of thing you would do isn't it? let me get you a cup of tea let's have well, a chat the, a cup of tea came into it because there was a shared kitchen so I used to just keep my ear out as to when she would be making her cup of tea and, and I wouldn't do it every day. There. Yeah, I wouldn't do it every day. But every, you know, every so often I would happen to want to, oh, need a cup of tea at that time. And <gasps> it, it took three so months. <laughs> it took three months. But after three months, you know, of just, you know, pass the milk, whatever. Obviously we had other conversations apart from it went beyond past the milk at the three month stage. It finally got to the stage where it was a comfortable conversation. And because I would bring it up without any expectation, she would then say, Oh, you should send me your work. You know, so it took time, but it worked and she became my agent and she got me a deal. So, you know, it's um, hilarious. That is like, (laughs) there's so much patience involved in that. I have to tell you a funny story though, because I'm just thinking about how I first made a connection with an editor, a Mm. publisher, and I had gone, and this this is one of those things, I had gone to a friend's book launch and I was at the friend's book launch and, um, and we were, you know, it was, it was, and she, she was, she, you know, she was a friend who we were in a writing group together and stuff like that. And, you know, I knew that she had a deal. It was very exciting. And there was, a, it was a massive event. Like she had about 200 people at this thing. And I'm standing up the back because I think I, I'm just trying to think, I think I had a young, like a really young baby. And like when you've got a really young baby, you're not feeling gl- like glam is the last mm. thing that you are. Right. So mm. I was just kind of like, I went to this thing because I, I wanted to support my friend. Um, and I was just going to be like, I'll just have a quick glass and then I'll, I'll get home. And uh, so I was kind of underdressed and like, you know, just so out of place. But anyway, so I'm standing up the back of this thing and there's this woman standing next to me 
and um, she was also kind of leaning against the wall and she was, she also, she looked like she just come straight from work and we're leaning and we started chatting, you know, we're talking about our mutual, you know, our mutual friend whose book it was and how exciting it was and blah, 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 this, that and the other. And she was, you know, like, you know, do you write? And I said, oh, I've been doing some writing and, you know, anyway, chatting away. And then my friend comes up and she goes, oh, you've met, look, you've met my publisher. How exciting. And I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> and she said to me, the publisher turned to me and she said, I want to see your manuscript because we'd been chatting because I had no uh, idea who she was and we'd been yes. chatting away about this thing and I was telling her all about my story and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, um, you know, because I had not I had a young baby, I didn't get out much. So, you know, when yes. people spoke to me, it was like his word vomit came out. And, uh, um, and it was just hilarious. And I was so embarrassed that I didn't do anything at oh. all because I was oh. mortified by the fact oh. that I hadn't known who she was. I didn't do a single thing. And then about three months later, our mutual friend said to me, um, she's waiting for your manuscript. You know that, don't you? Oh, like, my God. <laughs> it was just, it was honestly. And so that's what I'm saying. You just don't know who no. you stand Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next link, which is a link that you have about how to tell when your writing is good enough. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So the reason I'm sharing this link is that there was a big discussion in the podcast group a little while ago, and I'm sorry, I'm a little bit behind now because, of course, we've had this break. Um, but there was a bit of a discussion about how how do you know when your writing is is ready? Like, how do you know when it's right, you know, ready to submit? And and there was a lot of discussion about, you know, how different people felt about this sort of thing. And I shared this link um, and it's a blog post that I put together a little while ago and I put it together I think because I'd had a conversation with someone who was stressed about how, how would they know? So what I did, um, you know, what I actually did was uh, because it's not an easy question to answer. It's one of those, it's one of those things where you, you know, I've been a writer in one form or, of an, or another for my whole working life. And, you know, like I knew um, I had this sort of like the basic training with with journalism because I was in an office constantly and people were giving me feedback. And you got to a point, I got to a point where I knew what I was doing with that. I knew where I was up to. Um, and then, of course, I switched across to creative writing and it's a totally different world and I was completely in a mess with it all um not with not with knowing how to do it but with knowing if what I was doing was any good and um anyway so that was my, my kind of experience but um so to answer the question in the most useful way I went and asked nine other authors um to share their answers as to how they knew um you know when their writing was good or at least good enough to, you know, to send to their agent or publisher. And I just wanted to share the link to that in the show notes because I spoke to a range of different authors, including like Natasha Lester, who's a best-selling author, um, Alan Baxter, who, of course, you know, is the award-winning author of, you know, horror and sci-fi. So a whole range of different people, YA authors, literary yeah. novelists, like a whole range of different people. I asked them to answer that question, how do you know when it's, when it's ready, when it's done, when it's good. Um, and I think that uh, it's probably the best way to have a look at that is to go through the different answers that people give. But I think that the overall response is essentially that you don't know, like not really. Mm -hmm. you, you basically, nobody ever thinks that their writing is good enough. Nobody. Like, I don't, you know, it, I mean, 
we'll put it this way, none of the 10 people quoted in this article. (laughs) No, you know, so they, but what they do is have good relationships with other people who give them honest feedback um, or they, they get to a point where they can feel the, the heart of the novel. And you do get to a point when you're writing where you, you can feel that the story has taken off on its own. And I think that that's, that's a really good sign that it's, it's starting to, you know, live and breathe, which is kind of what you need it to do. You need it to, you need it to not be you moving people around a chessboard. You need it to be a story that really, um, you know, takes on a life of its own. Um, but, you know, basic, I think Alan Baxter, you know, sums it up really well. You know, the short answer is you don't and you have to take a shot at some point and hope yeah. for good answers, <laughs> which yes. I think is really, really good advice. So I, I think it's, um, um, you know, if it's something that you do wrestle with, I think it's really worth having a look at this link, um, which we will put in the show notes. Uh, it's called Industry Insider, How to Tell When Your Writing is Good Enough. Um, and it will just give you some insight into these these people are successful writers. These people yep. are, you know, multi-published authors. And I think it's really always worth understanding that everyone's in the same boat. Really important. Yeah, definitely. Have a look at it because it's such an interesting insight to see what these people think. All right, so let's move on. I want to give a shout out about Furious Fiction. There's so many awesome people who are entering this short, short story competition that we're running called Furious Fiction. And of course, it's on every month and the the May one is coming up very, very soon. Uh, it's only been running for three months, but so many people are loving it and taking it up. So many entries. The process of writing a 500-word story, so that's how long it is, up to 500 words, sparks other ideas and also ideas for longer stories. So we really encourage you to take part, you know, even just as a way to improve your writing practice. Um, and, and even if you're not winning the big prize of $500, it's still a worthwhile exercise. So it's going to launch for May this Friday. Uh, And what is the date this Friday? The Friday would be the 4th, right? There's a Uh hint, everyone. It's going to be launching on May the 4th. Some people will get (laughs) that and some people won't. It's going to be launching. The May one is going to be launching on May the 4th. (laughs) <laughs> and um, uh, make sure you're on the list, though. So if you need to sign up to the Furious Fiction Fan Club, then um, do so at furiousfiction.com.au because then you will be emailed uh, when it opens. So what happens is at 5 o'clock you will be given the clues. Well, they're not quite clues. They're just the things that you need to include in your story. They're the little parameters for this particular month. And it goes for 55 hours. Of course, if you write it in five minutes or half an hour, that's fine. But you have 55 hours to... um, to write it and then you have to submit your story on the Sunday and the winner gets $500, 500 real dollars, actual dollars, guys. So sign up $500. and enter to furiousfiction.com.au. Oh, and I think it's also worth, yes. before you go on with that, it's worth noting that this is really popular. Like there's so a popular. lot of entries to this, um, a lot and a lot of entries. It's very competitive because I, I have seen some people, you know, quite crestfallen that they're, um, that they're not, uh, they don't feel like they're being successful with it. But I, I think it's it's one of those things to realise that it's incredibly competitive and it's the practice is the doing of it 
is as much a victory as anything. Like I haven't entered because exactly. I just have no idea how I would even go about starting doing something like that. So if you're managing to do it and you're getting all those clues in and you're keeping it to 500 words and you're doing all of those things, I take my hat off to you and keep going yes. because, you know, you're only going to get better and better at it as you go. And here's a hint, everyone. So uh, you definitely, definitely do it just for the practice. You're not, don't do it just because you might win $500. Just think of that as a bonus, but definitely do it just for the practice. But if you haven't, um, uh, you know, won or whatever, let me tell you as somebody who reads many of them is Mm. that there are some amazing, and I'm talking amazing, and I'm talking about jaw-dropping kind of amazing entries who don't follow the rules oh yeah so if you don't follow the rule rules, number you, one follow yeah. the submission rules yeah it's yeah. really important so if there's yeah. certain Good, and that's that a great say, lesson yeah yeah so we can't mm. award it or even shortlist it if you simply haven't followed the rules um, mm. and yet some of you as there are some amazing 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 we're talking like we share it around the office, it's that amazing, but you haven't followed the rules. So we, you can't, okay. yeah, you can't make it. You can't, yeah. Okay. All anyway, right, yes. Moving on. Another competition for those people who are like Simon Baker. And we do know that our former podcast inter- uh, 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 interviewee, um, author Kerry Sackville, has a thing <laughs> for Simon Baker. So this is for you, Kerry. Uh, we have 15... Double passes to Simon Baker's film adaptation of Tim Winton's award-winning novel of the same name, Breath. It's out in cinemas the 3rd of May, 2018. Breath follows two teenage boys, Pikelet and Looney, growing up in a remote corner of the Western Australian coast. Hungry for discovery, the pair form an unlikely friendship with Sando, played by Simon Baker, a mysterious older surfer and adventurer who pushes the boys to take risks that will have a lasting and profound impact on their lives. We have 15, that's one five, double passes to give away. So make sure you enter. Entries close on the 7th of May, 2018, and just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now, Al, you haven't heard this in a couple of weeks, but are you ready for the word of the week? Oh, I've missed it so much. I, I thought you missed it too. Ah, oh, look, I'm just I... desperately, desperately sad that it hasn't been with me for the last couple of weeks. Yes, I'm ready. Hit me. Yes, good. The laity. The laity. That's V E V for Valerie. V E L L E I T Y. The laity. Have you heard mm. of that? No, never. It's a wish you have that is not accompanied with the desire to make an effort to achieve it. So <laughs> you might say <laughs> she had a laity for banoffee pie, but couldn't be bothered to drive to the shops to get it. Of course, that would never happen. That would never happen. I cannot imagine using that word in a sentence ever, but thank you very much for sharing it with us. Yeah, the laity. Cool, huh? Mm, cool. I would drive – well, I do. I drive 20 minutes to, to get it, but anyway. Um, yeah, see if you can use it in a sentence. Listeners, the laity. I think it's a good one. 
All right, now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Who is it? Oh, well, this week we are talking to the delightful, and I do say delightful, um, Josephine Moon. And we are talking to her about her brand new novel, which is called Three Gold Coins. And she writes kind of, um, the thing I find really interesting about her work is that she she writes books that, you know, on the surface look like sort of, you know, wafty sort of, you know, story, contemporary fiction, whatever. But there's always like this darker underlying aspect to them. And the way that she manages to weave those things together, I think is really, really interesting and very schoolful. So we had a bit of a chat about, you know, how she does that and a whole range of other exciting things about writing contemporary fiction. So I hope you guys really enjoy it. Australian author Josephine Moon's novels are published internationally and she describes them as books like chocolate brownies, rich, inviting, a treat for the soul, but with chunky nuts to chew on, with a dash of sea salt that lingers on the tongue, which I love, very poetic. She is the author of The Tea Chest, The Chocolate Promise, The Beekeeper's Secret, and her latest novel, Three Gold Coins, which was published in March this year. Welcome to the program, Josephine. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so as we like to do, we're going to just trawl back through the eons of time and go back mm. to the beginning. Um, how did you, like, when and how did your first novel come to be published? So, my first novel, The Teach, well, my first published novel, so I had a long track record of um, 10 years of, so 1999, I decided I wanted to be a career writer. And so for the next 12 years, I wrote 10 manuscripts. Wow. And in all sorts of genres, and I think that was part of my problem was I didn't know what sort of writer I wanted to be. And then I wrote The Tea Chest, and that one crossed the line. And uh, I got my agent six weeks after my first and only son was born. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a different version of motherhood than I was kind of expecting. And the book sold really quickly um, with the two-book deal and then was published. So it was 2012 and then it was published in 2014. But that was your 11th manuscript that you'd written? The 10th, the, the number the 10. Tenth. Lucky 10, yeah. Lucky 10. Okay, yeah. so um, what were you doing all the time that you were write, like writing mm-hmm. all of those many, many manuscripts that you wrote? So when I first started, I was a teacher. I was in my first year teaching. So I'd done, um, I'm one of these people who who've sort of studied, kept changing their mind about lots of things. So I studied all sorts of things. Um, but I, I did journalism and film and media studies at one point, and then I did sort of teaching. So then I was first year teaching, but I knew I didn't want to teach. And I was at um, a course with the Queensland Writers Centre in Brisbane. And I just had this light bulb moment where I just went, this is it. This is absolutely the job for me. Um, and so for those sort of the next 12 years, I was, you know, working full time, working part time, working casual things, working from home, doing just all sorts of things. I, I, I'm terrible. I, I get bored very easily. So I kept changing what I was doing a lot, but I just kept writing. And what sorts of things were you writing? Like you said, you tried a whole range of different things. Mm. What kinds of things did you try? So I wrote a couple of YA manuscripts. Um, and one of those was shortlisted for the text prize mm. one year. So I thought, oh, maybe that's my thing um, and kept sort of going with that for a bit. Um, I did a memoir, which was also shortlisted for um, Finch Memoir Prize. So I was like, oh, maybe that's my thing. <laughs> and um, I did nonfiction textbooks. I did um, 
I did a general fiction book. I, I did. I can't even remember now. There's so many things, but I know that eventually I sort of went. Maybe I should look at what I'm reading and try and write what I'm reading. And what I was reading in my hand at the time was one of Monica McEnany's books, ah. and I just went. I really resonate with this. This is really sort of my style. Um, and I ended up writing. I say I, I wrote the book I wanted to read. So I wrote the book that was just not on the shelf for me as my perfect book. Do you think that's the difference? Is that what got you over the line with that particular manuscript? Is that you sort of finally found like you'd had that moment of, oh, okay, well, you know, clearly this is what I need to be doing. Yeah, I think I think it is. It was <laughs> I'm a very I'm a slow reader. I'm a horribly slow reader, which is a terrible kind of burden for a writer because you you know, it's one of your things. You're supposed to be reading lots, but I'm a terribly slow reader. And I'm a very slow writer and I'm a very slow thinker and apparently I'm a very slow learner because it took me all that time to work out that that's what I should be doing. Um, and then, yeah, the teachers was a really beautiful. I actually started it and then I put it away for sort of two, two years or more. And when I pulled it out, I'd completely forgotten what I'd written and I read it and went, wow, that sounds like a real book. I might try and finish that. And I sort of, I was pregnant at the time and I really wanted to finish it before um, my son arrived and I didn't know what was going to happen after that. And so that was sort of my, my deadline there mm. for myself was to get it, get it ready and out there. Mm. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. I think that um, I'd be interested to know what, like, as you said, you wrote the YA, you wrote the memoir. Like, obviously in doing all of those different manuscripts, you've, you've been learning lots and lots of, do you think, I guess what I'm trying to say here, because I do have a point and I will get to it. I guess what I'm trying to say is, do you think that every aspect of the craft that you learned by creating those other manuscripts came together for you in the tea chest as well? I, I think, I mean, no writing is ever wasted. I mm. think that would be sort of, you know, my number one belief there. I mean, even now I start, I start books all the time that I, you know, I research, I collect photos, I start notebooks, I write a few chapters and then I go, yeah, that's not going to work. So, but nothing's ever wasted. And quite often you can go back to anything you've written that hasn't been published or come to fruition and pull it apart and pull characters out of it or pull themes out of it or you can do all sorts of stuff with it. So it all just adds to the whole compost of what you can grow. Okay. Now on your website, you describe, apart from the brownie thing, you also, you know, describe your work as your brand, I guess, as Uplit, life lit, foodie lit, women's lit. So, you know, you've got those four things there. Now, given that, you know, is that something that you've come up with now that you've written four books? You're like, oh, okay, that's what I can, that's how I can label this. Do you think it helps to have those labels? Uh, I think it's such a huge question. I guess, it, yeah, I think it helps because people often say to me, um, my, you know, my elevator pitch is quite terrible. People say, what do you write? And I, I freeze every time. I sort of think, <laughs> stuff it involves a lot of food and um yeah <laughs> women in problems that need to solve I, I just lose it even then you know I'm just like I don't know um I, I find that I mean commercially it's a really thorny area because commercially speaking uh the books will be referred to as commercial women's fiction but that category doesn't actually really exist you don't walk into bookstores in Australia and have a big title that says commercial women's fiction you have mm. a title that says fiction or it says general fiction so what we are technically which goes into book scan is general fiction mm. so that's a ginormous pool of um, types of stories and it's a difficult label I think because if I say that to 
most people in the public, they think I'm writing romance, which I'm, I'm not. I'm not a straight romance writer. Mm. My stories do have often love stories in them, but they're not, that's not the primary driver of the narrative. So that's kind of misleading as well if people think that. And then so after the tea test um, came out, people were very, very excited about the fact that I'd sort of chosen f- this sort of food theme as the central driver of the narrative. And so I thought, well, maybe I'm writing this new thing called foodie fiction. Um, and so I was sort of was using that phrase for a long time, but people just didn't like it and didn't get it and uh, really sort of every time I say that, they, they think I'm talking nonfiction, I'm talking recipes, I'm talking, you know, so I sort of just can't really find it. I do love the phrase life lit, which um, I think actually Rachel Johns uh, started using and, and credited her publicist, I think, for coming up with that, which I think is actually probably the most accurate terminology mm. for what we're doing because we're writing about people in all stages of life in, in facing all sorts of life issues. Mm. And then, but, but, you know, I do have this, strong element I love writing around food themes and so I have that really strong element in there as well and um yeah the uplit one I that's a new term going around um is that upmarket is that where we're going with that or is it cheerful yeah and well not necessarily (laughs) cheerful but because my books aren't you know wholly cheerful but they but that you you feel better at the end you know sort of of rising raising people's kind of feelings about the world I guess yeah okay well that's an interesting thing because that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because your novels do at first present as kind of light easy reads you know you're sort of like Mm -hmm. going along and then all of a sudden they're sort of generally veering off into you know darker territory the nuts and salt of your brownies so to speak (laughs) is that a is that a conscious decision or is that just where your subconscious Mm -hmm. takes you because it's quite a big mystery and it's quite dark you know at the heart of three gold coins and I you know I'm just wondering whether that's something that you you start with or if it is it something that just develops as you write the story yeah it's a really good question I'm really glad you asked it it's been a a really evolving thing for me so uh, if I start with the the basic idea that I'm incredibly sensitive so I'm incredibly sensitive to sort of you know I cannot watch the news I cannot deal with the pain of the world like Mm. it's just something I can't deal with so to begin with my kind of real agenda was to put out stories that made me feel better at mm. the end because I was sick of reading things that left me feeling depressed and traumatized and not just not good. So I wanted to feel good. Um, but then again, I didn't feel into like often the romance kind of genre feels that sort of, you know, uh, agenda there, mm. but I wasn't doing that either. So that's sort of where I started. And then with the beekeeper secrets and my first two books were pretty, um, you know, pretty, pretty, I guess, yeah, the terms light reads. Mm. Um, and then The Beekeeper's Secret turned up uh, and really turned up as a book. I, I wish this happened every time. <laughs> it never happened before. It's never happened since. Just really turned up with this very strong character of Maria as um, a former nun who had a big story to tell and she wanted someone to tell it and she wouldn't go away. Every time I kept, I was trying to write a completely different story and she kept turning up and then I was trying to write her into that story and it just wasn't working. And I had to sort of go, well, what is it? that you want to say here. And so there's a theme in that book of um, child abuse in the Catholic church. Yeah. And that was really challenging for me because I was really worried about my readers and how they would react to that. Um, but I haven't had a single, I haven't had anyone say that it was, it was too much or they, they, you know, were traumatized or anything like that. And I worked really, really hard to make it, um, not to the focus. So Maria is not a primary victim of, 
that sort of set of circumstances. So, you know, she's one step removed. So she's kind of, I was interested in that sort of secondary tertiary victim, mm. you know, how those things go down through generations. So you can kind of, you know, avoid a lot of the really nasty stuff if you do that. And so, you know, that was fine. My readers kind of went along with that. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's great. And I guess I got a bit of confidence. Three Gold Coins was a totally different story. That the book that's on the shelf right now is the third version of the mm. book that I wrote. So I, I could have written, I could have published about three books out of what I wrote in that. And when I got to the second version of it, which is was most similar to what it is now, um, it was very clear to me that the book wanted to go in a dark direction. And I said, no, literally out loud <laughs> to the book. No. And Josephine. I said to the book, no. I did. I just said, <laughs> Josephine doesn't do that. No. And so I wrote this whole other kind of um, story and uh, then I sent it off to my editor, Clara, who I always send my early stuff to because she sees, you know, straight to the heart of it pretty quickly. And she sent me all this feedback um, and she never tells me what to do, but I could, I could just tell by sort of the questions she was asking me that it wasn't strong enough and I realised I'd made a terrible mistake there in avoiding doing what the story wanted to do and it was really really hard that book pushed me so hard to go to places I didn't want to go and to really um yeah to face up to to that stuff and what I've really learned writing that book is that your intention is everything so my intention is not to focus on you know the trauma the focus is really to focus to, to deal with sort of, you know, the resilience and the hope. And people are reading it that way. And people are really just sort of like, oh, you know, it's hopeful. They're, they're giving me that term that it's really hopeful and it's, it's optimistic and that's great. I'm really pleased that that's how it's been received. Okay, because that is a question I wanted to ask you because when you're writing kind of, you know, stuff that is, um, you know, you are, as, as you said, you set out to write a book that makes you feel better by the end of it. But when mm-hmm. you're dealing with those darker areas, you know, having to bear in mind the whole time that sort of treat for the soul aspect and manage the light and the shade so that they're not jarring mm. as well. Is that a difficult thing to do? Like, is that a difficult juggle? I found it terribly difficult. And I, I, for me, I, I think, you know, I was avoiding writing it that way so much because I didn't want to feel the pain because mm. if my characters are going to feel pain, I have to feel the pain. Mm. So that was one thing. <laughs> I just didn't want to go there myself. And it was, it really, really challenged me. Now, looking in hindsight, I kind of go, oh, nothing. What was I worried about? But at the time, it was really, you know, I, had, I actually had nightmares mm. <laughs> when I was writing it. It was mm. really psychologically played. Well, you did write me. a character there that, many of us would have nightmares about like I I do feel that you know you've managed to tap into that aspect very nicely yeah well that's that's good I I tried not to again not to be too gratuitous with it and and it's I guess it's yeah it's more psychological than than sort of overt yeah yeah yeah. but don't you think don't you think psychological is actually more terrifying in many ways than probably overt I think it is I don't, that could I'm just not, be me. <laughs> no, yeah, no, you're probably right. I, I always find really what's really interesting about books is that I'm so close to them when I'm writing them that I don't actually have that sort of really strong uh, sort of being able to, yeah, able to have that distance and see what's really going on. And it's often not until the book actually hits the shelf and people start emailing me or messaging me and saying, of oh, this, this, and this. And I go, oh, really? Yeah, actually, you're right. Like I just, 
I don't even see it really myself. I'm just sort of, it's just this horrible uphill slog to get the thing finished and out on the shelf. Okay. Uh, so it's really nice actually once it's on the shelf and people start saying Telling you what's in it. Yeah, like the beekeepers, the first two interviews I did, people said, oh, so you've written a mystery. And I was like, really? Did I? Oh, okay, cool. Um, and now I've sort of really gotten onto that where I'm, I'm actually really enjoying that sort of, yeah, the mystery element of writing stories. Okay. So where do you begin when you start a new novel? Do you start with a character? Do you have, um, I mean, you said with The Beekeeper's Secret that you had the character there. Was that the mm-hmm. same with Three Gold Coins? Was there? Was it a premise? Was it a character? Was it a theme? Like what kickstarts you? Oh, well, Three Gold Coins was so messy. I don't even know where to start with that one. But okay. generally speaking, I start with, um, my. I'm character driven and then, the characters pretty much tell me my plot. So I end up doing heaps and heaps of rewriting, basically. My first drafts are horribly messy. My stakes are never high enough because I don't like doing mean things to people. (laughs) (laughs) No one's ever really dealing with anything terrible and I have to go back and sort of do mean things to them. Um, But, yeah, character-driven first, definitely. And I I don't know, I start with – just vague ideas sometimes. Sometimes I start with settings. Settings are actually huge for me. I actually can't even write a scene if I don't know where that person is sitting and what they're sort of, they can see. So my setting really drives what I'm doing as well. All right. Uh, that's a question I wanted to ask you because the setting is obviously very important for three gold coins. But how mm. do you go about evoking that sense of place without getting lost in endless description? Mm. I don't I don't know. It's a, again a really good question. I I think I overwrite to begin with, and then I sort of start stripping things back a bit. But um, I mean, whenever I go, you know, to locate, I do lots and lots of location visits, and you know, I, I take hundreds of photos, and I write lots and lots of notes in notebooks, and um, I guess it's just picking out those things that really strike me as. I guess if it evokes some kind of emotion in me, then that's that's what I'm going to focus on. Okay. Now I'm getting the sense that you're not really a, a, a plotter per se, that no. you sort of get <laughs> just, you know, getting a little bit like of a hint be. about that. So what is your writing process? You just basically get some kind of an idea and off you go. Yeah. Well, do you know what I have recently discovered, and this is this will sound terrible, I have only recently discovered the real value in writing a synopsis before I start a book. Because in all that time that I was an unpublished author, I would just write, I would just write stories and then, you know, I'd get to this point where I had to, you know, start pitching them to agents or publishers or whoever and, of course, they want a synopsis. And so I'd write this and I'd go, oh, what's the story about? And then I'd write a synopsis. And because I sort of, so I must have done one of those for the teachers to get it to, actually, I didn't. I didn't even do it that way. Oh. Um, so I didn't even do one for the teachers. And then I hadn't written a synopsis at all until sort of at the end of Three Gold Coins and my agent said, okay, well, let's let's start looking at where we're going now. Um, maybe you should write a synopsis for your next book. And I didn't even have an idea at that point. And I was like, okay, that's a bit of pressure. Um, and <laughs> then uh, for my fifth book, which I'm on second draft at the moment, this, uh, the idea hit me very, very quickly. I read, I watched something on television and I just went, ooh, that, that is what I want to write about. And so I spent a couple of days kind of putting together a synopsis. And I'm just like, wow, that really, I can see the real value in. <laughs> I see you know, why people do this. Yeah, like being able to see problems in advance mm. before they happen. Because the first version of the uh, Three Gold Coins was actually set in the Cotswolds 
and it was a totally different storyline wow. and I got 50,000 words in and I just went, it's not working. And I, it was horrified. I was just like, oh, at what point should I have seen that I've written myself into a hole here that I can't get out of? And if I'd done a synopsis, I may have been able to see that. So there you go. There's my great tip. Write a synopsis before you start writing the book. <laughs> I told you, I'm a slow learner. Oh. <laughs> I got it. Do you have a, a writing routine? Like you said you had um, – so how old is your – did you say you had a son? Yeah, he's now five. He just started prep this year. Okay, right. So it has changed. What I do changes has changed every year that, you know, he's been around. So depending on how much he needs me or what where we're living and whether we could have nanny or we were at kindy or daycare or whatever it was. Um, but, you know, absolutely right from the start we – so my husband and I just went, well, this is my job. If I had to leave the house to work, we would have to find some kind of childcare. So that's how we've always approached it. So the time has always been built in there. Right. Uh, when it was really, when he was really young, my son, um, it was horrendous. It was just, you know, a friend of mine, I uh, lived in a tiny town uh, in the bush and a friend of mine used to come up just three hours, twice a week. And I just used to guzzle coffee and eat chocolate and just be like, right, I've got three hours I must write. I've recently changed. I used to be very kind of word count driven and I've actually found now I've, I've become time driven and I don't, I've taken all the pressure off myself and just gone, I'm, I'm now dating my book. So I, I turn up to the book with my absolute best self on. I pretend that this is the most important relationship in my life for one hour. <laughs> And I only have to be there for one hour, right, because we're all very um, scattered and our concentration levels are appalling these days, So certainly for me. So I sort of go, one hour, that's it. You know, everything's off. I'm just here. I don't have to produce anything. I can just read it. I can just fiddle with my kind of plot idea or do a bit of research, whatever I'm doing. But I just have to give it, you know, 200% focus for that time. And I've actually found this is maybe more productive, which is is not what I expected to happen, but that's what's happening. Right. So one hour a day focused that's on the book. Yes. Wow. One okay. hour, seven days a week. And yep. that's, that is, that's working for me right now. Well, and that's interesting because you said you were quite a slow writer. Are you on a, a book a year <laughs> deadline? I am. <laughs> right. Which is terrible, right? Because it, it, invariably my first drafts take about six months to write which is very slow if you want to get out. So obviously then once I get into heavy editing, one hour a day is not going to cut it. Yeah. But certainly for that kind of that first draft uh, romance, one hour a day is, is quite enough. And do you have at that – so once you've done your first draft, what happens then? Do you do an edit yourself or you send it straight to your editor and I, await her feedback? I have learnt now to send first draft to Clara because I will eventually get to – I would eventually get to kind of all the conclusions she gets to, but she'll just get there so much faster. So that okay. just, it's like outsourcing my time, basically my thinking time. I send it to Clara, she sees all the problems, sends it back to me, and I go, right, now I can do a second draft rather than just kind of tweaking. Faffing, faffing for, around. Exactly. Faffing. Yeah, okay. Faffing, faffing's a great word, don't you? Um, do you read while you write? Like are you yes. reading other things? And so do you seek out other writers in your area or do you consciously avoid them? Uh, no, I read a lot of people who are sort of in my area, absolutely, because that's what I love. That's why I write what I write. And, um, yeah, so no, my, my sort of peers are my favourite writers. Fantastic. So, yeah. All right, so 
When you're writing about contemporary life, as you often are, is it difficult to distinguish yourself from the character? Or do you sometimes find yourself thinking, what would I do in this particular situation, rather than what would my character do in this particular situation? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of inevitable to some degree because you're always going to pull on your, you know, what's in your mind and your experience is obviously what's going to be at the forefront of your um, your thoughts kind of all the time. But, um, you know, I have, like Maria from the Beekeepers is um, 72, so I have to think differently, you know, as a 72-year-old woman. Um, And Lara and Three Little Coins is 31, so I had to go, wow, okay, to change that mind shift again. So I think think that always changes what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, switching gears slightly, how do you feel about the promotional side of being an author? Like is it something that you keep ticking over all the time or you just bring out Josephine Moon for book launches? You know, I mean, because you're in a very competitive market, like is it difficult to stand out? Um, it's a really I, – I do find that a really tough one because as as an introvert, as most writers are, and a, a kind of bookish harmony personality that's where I'm most comfortable I'm most comfortable sitting in the world of my book and then which is a very dreamy space um and then you know this sort of this very intense time where you go out into to publicity but I I like both you know I think one grounds the other and I always really love meeting readers I have a very loyal readership and some of the most beautiful people I just I'm constantly blown away by how lovely people are and um you know so I love meeting them and particularly uh just recently last year I took 10 months off social media and that really improved my productivity I have to say (laughs) it really because I just I find it I do find it very distracting kind of part of your brain's always thinking about oh should I take a photo of that and put it on Mm. you know on Facebook or whatever yeah Um, it was just a very freeing time and which I needed to do because I was in this you know shocking like three gold coins which was a nightmare for me to write so I really needed all that concentration there um so, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of – I do – I go through phases where I'll, I'll back off a bit when I'm in sort of deep writing mode and then start ticking over again. But, you know, people people are lovely, really. Mm. If I if I had horrible people saying horrible things to me, I might feel differently about it. But people are just beautiful. So um, basically they make me feel better about what I do. Uh, and they're really, really affirming too, you know. Like if I've had a really bad week or something's gone wrong in the kind of business aspect of what I'm doing and I'm feeling, you know, deflated about that – and then, you know, I write for readers. I don't write for, you know, um, the publishing houses or the media or whoever it is. You write to connect with a reader. So yeah. you, my readers are, really are, do sustain me a lot. Well, that's just beautiful. That's very oh. author-affirming right there. <laughs> I can't okay. do it. You, know, you wouldn't do it if, um, I mean, I did do it for 12 years with no one reading anything on the road. <laughs> But, you know, that's what you're, you're craving is you've got a story to tell and you want someone to read it. So. That's right. That's right. All right, we're going to finish up today with our, you know, famous, infamous, whichever way you want to put it, uh, last question, which, of course, is our three top tips for authors. So mm. what have you got for us, Josephine? Well, I think I covered the synopsis one. So you <laughs> learn to write a synopsis and do it first before you start actually writing the book. I think that's that's my big learning of 2018, so I'm really happy to share that one. Um, I always say, too, that, you know, the adage goes, write what you know. 
And I think that will that's a good place to start and it will get you so far. But I always say to people, write what you want to know because mm. that's a very – that really engages your curiosity and that freshness of looking at something with keen new eyes rather than something that's kind of maybe a bit of a stagnant energy. You already know it. It's a, it's a forward momentum. That works for me anyway. I like it. And um, the other one would be write short stories. Just keep keep writing short stories and write deliberately write in a whole heap of different genres. So, you know, write in as a mystery, write as a romance, write as a crime, write, you know, children's, whatever it is, just keep changing genres so that you find your voice and you mm. find your niche. Because a short story is not a massive commitment, you know. Putting out a two or 3,000 word short story is, um, you know, as long as you can do that in a day, certainly do it within a week. Um, and it's, it's just not a huge commitment to get a lot of value back from mm. that. I think that's great advice and I think it's an interesting thing because a lot of the people, a lot of the authors that we talk to will say that they started out writing one thing thinking that that's what they should be writing and then ended up, you know, falling into something else entirely and discovering, you know, that that was the thing. I mean, that happened to me. So, yeah, I think that's a really, really good piece of advice Like to, because I think sometimes we get stuck with what we think we should be writing. Mm. Do Do you feel that's the case? Well, I think, you know, that absolutely happened to me in that sort of 12 years, particularly if you do get a bit of, you know, you get a bit closer like I did with a couple of shortlisting surprises and you go, oh, well, maybe that's, you know, that's what mm. I should be doing. So mm. you sort of follow that. But, yeah, just going back to those short stories. And, again, it keeps that freshness alive because you'll be stuck in a, in a full-length manuscript for a really long time, you know, mm. years. Um, so a short story, yeah, as I said, it's a small commitment for a big return of uh, knowledge. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Josephine. It's been really great talking to you. And I've um, picked up some terrific tips there myself today. So I hope that that our listeners are also, um, you know, agreeing with me. These... These interviews are always fabulous. Like it's like a masterclass in writing every week for all of us. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Awesome, Josephine Moon. Great interview, Al. Yeah, look, it was, you know, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I I just think, you know, it's such a privilege that we have really that we get to talk to so many terrific authors from different you know who are all writing different things you know different areas different age groups different everything um and just looking at the kinds of the the consistent threads that we hear each time like the the, Mm. the, you know the similar points that we hear but also those points of difference where everybody brings something new to the table I think it's um yeah it's an education yeah love it love it so Mm. what are you doing this coming week Al now that school holidays are over and both our lives are back on track 
<laughs> well, I'll be catching up on the eight weeks worth of work that I somehow got behind on in the two weeks of school holidays. Um, I've got a whole lot of planning to do. I've got a lot of uh, like school visits coming up. I've got um, I've got uh, quite a few writers festivals that I'm going to be appearing at. You know, over the mm. course of the next sort of four or five months. So I'm sort of like, I'm in the process of, you know, we're working out what I'm going to be doing at these things and who I'm going to be talking to and how these things are going to work, you know, and getting there and all that sort of stuff. So there's just a whole lot of logistical admin stuff. Um, And I'm just, um, just sort of like working out what my next project is going to be. I've got a few different ideas. I've got some stuff that I've already um, started, you know, I've got kind of 20,000 words of, of, of one thing and I'm trying to work out whether or not that should be my next thing or, or whether to, you know, go with something totally new and fresh. I'm just, I don't know. I'm I'm in a bit of a state of flux. I think sometimes, I think sometimes it's important just to kind of take a bit of a step back and, you know, because I, I have written quite a few manuscripts again in the last, I don't know, six to 12 months. Um, and I just need to take a step back and look at what I've got and, you know, I've got a couple of things on submission. I'm waiting to hear on things. I just need to think about what my next step might be after that. And it's very difficult to do that when you're in the middle of it. Sometimes yeah, you just definitely. really need to walk away from it for a little while. So I'm focusing a little bit on admin and exciting things like that right now while I kind of tick over what my next thing might be. What about you? Cool. What are you doing? Oh, wow. You know how you sometimes get to the stage where you are so far behind and you have so many things to do, not only from a professional level, but, you know, my garage needs cleaning out. And mm. I don't, because I've, I did a whole heap of work on it, you know, recently, and it's still in that kind of mess. And my laundry, everything, I'm actually at that point of overwhelm that I can't even tell you what I'm going to do next. Mm. So I just need to start doing something and hopefully yeah. I will emerge. <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt like that a couple of weeks ago and I just find when you feel like that that the best thing you can do is to tackle a couple of small things that you can yeah. tick off, get out the way and feel like you've actually accomplished something and then you start. And like I had this to-do list, honestly, it was just ridiculous. Like I, mm. I, I would have the most productive day and I would get to the end of it and it was like three things had come off this yeah. list, you know, and it was <laughs> – just like, and you look at it and you just go, really? Like, come on. Like, I've been working so hard. Um, but I think, yeah, it's just that thing of like tick off the garage, tick off calling the cockroach man, tick off, you know, <laughs> whatever man. small. Well, you know, just those, those things that have to be done that you just no, kind no. of like fallen behind on. So, yeah. So you need to call your cockroach man, Val. It'll make okay, you so much I'll better. call the cockroach okay. man. All right, <laughs> listeners, we're going to be two new women next week. We're going to feel on top of things and on top oh, of We're going to be all over it. We're going to be so perky. We are just going to be what? Like, what are we going to be? We're going to be Winnie and Piglet next week. We're not going to be Tigger yes. anymore. <laughs> all right. Where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val? 
You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram, although I must admit that I'm using Instagram way more than Twitter these days. Uh, It's just become where all my conversations are happening, so make sure you connect Mm -hmm. with me on that. Of course, we are both on Facebook, and please connect with us in the listener community. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer.com. No, so just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast (laughs) community, and we'd love to see you in there. But what I meant to say is all the show notes are at soyouwantobeawriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>